to Desire to Inspire, Shamama's favorite podcast. The energy's high today, and I'm fucking with it. We got me, we got Freddie, we got Alex Cherry on the line. What's up, bro? What is happening, gentlemen? It's been a long time coming. I feel like we've been trying to set this one up for a few months now, but uh, we're finally here, dude. It was God's plan, man. It just wasn't meant to be a month or so ago, and here we are now, so it does not even matter because we're we in this room together now, so that's all that matters. Honestly, I feel like uh, across the board, this is the highest energy has been on an episode in a while. <laughs> One of us is usually pretty low, but I'm I'm up right now. What's the biggest uh, change that's happened in the last month? How come you weren't on a month ago? Let's let's hear what's going on in your life, Alex. Dude, um, extreme scheduling. I'm trying to get really schedule oriented. Um, trying to con- condense everything down. I know that my life in a year or two is going to be very, very busy. I just got engaged to my fiance here a few weeks ago. Congrats. We're planning on having kids. So whatever I can do now in my life to like really simplify it and get like everything really in order and get very good at this, this is going to pay dividends when I have those sleepless nights and I'm going crazy. So I'm really just looking out for future Alex because he's going to go crazy and he doesn't need to go crazier than he needs to be. There you go. Dude, I feel like, where are you located? I know you're Eastern time, so where are you at? Pennsylvania. Greatest state okay. in the United States, by the way. Uh, we're, uh, we're Ohio boys, so that might be an argument. I, but, still, uh, I still, one of my favorite conspiracies that Ohio isn't real, so I don't know about <laughs> that. <laughs> well, uh, so like that's like a big thing for us is scheduling. It's like I'm on mountain time, he's on mm-hmm. East Coast time, so it's always, we have our own schedules, and then like getting all this shit going is always a hassle, mm-hmm. which uh, hopefully one that we're reconciling here in the coming months, Without a doubt. but uh, we're working on it. So I definitely feel you on the scheduling side of things, man. Do you notice you're being more productive because of this? Is this like a habit that you're going to instill like moving forward with everything? Oh, absolutely, man. I live and die by my calendar now. Um, I, and learning to say no has become a superpower because I used to be very big in people pleasing. And especially when I got, when I got on Twitter, I wanted to say yes to everything. And then I soon realized that I got burnt out. I had to have a long sit down conversation with myself and being like, all right, why am I not being successful right now? What can I not do in my life to make me more successful? And what can I double down on that is going to work? So really learning how to say no to some instances, because uh, not everything needs to be a freaking Zoom call. You know what I mean? And I did that a lot when I first started out just because networking is powerful. But then I realized like there are bigger levers that I need to move. Uh, So yes, moving forward, like, this is a superpower because when you think about it, I think it was Warren Buffett who said it and Anthony Pompliano wrote a newsletter about it, about being time millionaires, you know, kind of really simplifying uh, time. Like a million seconds is like 12 days, a billion seconds is like 31 years. And that just blew my mind. And that is the only currency that we can't get back. So if I can really uh, make good use of my time now, it's going to pay dividends in the future. And I can spend that time what, with what really matters. So just just because you said like getting into the Twitter space, I'm going to go there for a second. We're connected to a lot of the same people there, mm-hmm. but I've always wondered who did you initially find that brought you in? Because I feel like you just kind of popped up one day out of nowhere, and then everybody was fucking with you. Yeah. Um. So I was a Bitcoin anon for about two and a half years, dude, running around okay. with some freaking JPEG in my picture, shit posting everywhere, talking shit everywhere, and really just being a really toxic person on Twitter, you know. And when you hide behind anonymity, that's very easy to do for me mm-hmm. because no one no one's attached to me i'm nobody no one knows who i am so one day i don't know how it came across my newsfeed, but it did zach homel 
Um, I'll never forget the video of him and this like 2020 in April. He's sitting in his backyard drinking a cup of coffee. And I seen that video and then I started to follow various people that were following him. And then it started to get contagious. And I think I found you in that mix as well. And then one day I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to make a Twitter profile with my name on it. And I did. Um, because I seen the power of positivity and in the Bitcoin crypto space, everybody's just negative as shit. Like, Oh, if you have shit coins, you ain't nothing, you know, Bitcoin, everything. So it was very toxic and seeing the circles that he was running in. I'm like, wow, there's some amazing people doing amazing things. And even more so than that, there are people who are ditching their traditional nine to fives to work in the online space. And that was really appealing to a guy who was working in the carbon factory that was black every day, trading his time for money and barely any great money at that. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I should take a jump on this. And I did. And then I started investing in coaches and mentors and started networking. And then, you know, that runs into me starting my business and then me linking up with the default King boys and jumping on their ship. Like all these things came about from me going from being anonymous on Twitter to putting my face there. And even more so, I happen to have a particularly unique story uh, where I became a drug addict and I'm not anymore. And, you know, that got a lot of traction. It Initially, I didn't want to lean into that because I'm like, eh, I don't really want to talk about this. Like I was very sheltered about it. But then I realized every time I posted about it, that's when I got the most engagement. And even more so than that, that's when I got the most people in my DM saying like, hey, man, I deal with this too. I look through their newsfeed. They're not talking about this. I'm like, oh, this is a stigma. And I'm mm -hmm. cool talking about it. And if I can shed the light on my situation, have more people be empowered to be like, holy shit, look at Alex. Seven years ago, he was a drug addict, went to jail. And now he's jacked running races, doing great things. Like if I can spread that positive energy and give it to somebody else, um, shit, I, I, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't do that, I feel like at this point. I don't know why I expect you to say anybody besides Zach. Everybody we have fucking on here says that. So <laughs> I was really just – I really was expecting somebody else. But, you know. I'm sorry I, guess I it, couldn't. Yeah, I'm sorry. It all comes back. But um, th this is going to lead into where I kind of wanted to get into the – meat of your story anyways around kind of addiction stuff like that so obviously like i'm familiar i've seen your story online mm -hmm. i don't know if freddie's seen it yet but uh if you kind of want to tell that story kind of obviously you're going to be able to do better vocalizing it than written word anyway for the most part so if you kind of want to give some background i'm sure we'll jump in with some questions but i'm really interested in kind of that period of your life yeah man um you know, it starts really early in my life just with running away from my problems, you know, and that just gravitates throughout the years. You know, in elementary school, it starts with acting out in class, being the class clown. Middle school, it gravitate, gravitates to the introduction of weed and alcohol, and, you know, that kind of gets out of control, and that gravitates to when I'm in my 20s working into a bar, and uh, life was good. You know, I was, I was becoming more responsible. I became a bar manager in the bar, which was great. Me and the cook actually went to my house every day after work and we smoke a blunt. It was like a ritual. You know, we get out of work, we go down there, talk shop, talk shit, get high. That was the end of that. One day he brought over a pill called an oxycodone, which is a highly, uh, it's an opiate, very strong prescriptive drug. And uh, he just popped it out of nowhere. He's like, yo, you got any tin foil? You mind if I smoke this here? I'm like, no, nah, man, I don't care. Um, can I try it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what it is. I never did this before. He's like, yeah, of course. Um, so I tried it and that's when I was like, oh shit, this is nice. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just like weed. You're just a different type of high. 
Um, so that gravitated towards me and him doing it like once a week. And then that turned into two times a week and that turned into three times a week. And it kind of went on from there. You know how that kind of builds up. And we had done this for about three months and we're essentially doing this pill every single day. And again, I'm so naive at this point in my life. I'm like 22, so I'm dumb. And I didn't know what was going on. And I remember one day I didn't have the pill for like 36 hours and I was at work and I felt like I had the flu. And I remember texting him. I'm like, yo, man, I feel like shit. Maybe, just maybe, if you can get me one of these pills, like I won't feel as bad anymore. Not even realizing I'm going through withdrawal. Yeah. And he's like, nah, man, I don't got that, but come meet up with me. I got something else. I met up with him and he's like, this is what I got. Pulls out heroin. And I'm like, no. It was a hard no. Because I really thought there was a difference between the opiate that I was doing and the pill and the heroin. Like I thought there was a huge difference, but there's no difference. But that no lasted for about 10 seconds. I'm like, you know what? I might as well try it, see if it'll help. And wouldn't you know, I ripped open that bag put it up my nose and bam, all the flu-like symptoms were gone. Um, and again, I, I flash back to that time period all the time because I, I, I should have realized right there, there's a huge problem, but you know what felt better? Me feeling better in that moment and not feeling sick anymore felt better than realizing I was a drug addict. And then that just spiraled out of control, man. It starts out as a $60 a day habit that, that, that blows up within a year to a hundred and 50, $200 a day habit. Like it just gets out of control. Um, life was spiraling out of control. Ended up, you know, at my high point, probably doing about $400 a day worth of drugs. Damn. I didn't have the money to support that, man. So Jeez. there came a time period where there was a decision to be made in my mind, either quit, which that wasn't a viable option, or start stealing money from my job. Now, every single time I decided to steal literally $400 a day, did I know what was wrong? Hell yeah, for a split second. But guess what? Again, outweighed that, not feeling like shit. Because if you never went through a draw and anybody listens ever went through a draw, one, I don't recommend it. Two, it's fucking horrible. Imagine a flu times 100, nothing's comfortable. Um, it's just, it's, it's miserable. So uh, yeah, I did that for a while. And then to the grace of God, a car hit a telephone pole the Friday of Memorial Day weekend in 2016, right across the street from my restaurant. What that did is it knocked the power out of the restaurant <laughs> and it turned the power back on. And wouldn't you know all those tickets that I deleted for the past six months? Cause that's how I was stealing the money. Oh I shit. I would delete tickets from the computer system and I'd pocket the money. Wouldn't you know all those fucking tickets came back. And I remember I was getting, I was getting ready for work and my boss called me. I'm like, Oh, you know, Raymond's calling. So I answered the phone. I was like, what's up, man? I'm getting ready for work. He's like, you stealing fucking money. Hey, just like that cold, cold, stone cold sober. And I'm like, I thought about Damn. lying. I thought about lying. I'm like, you know what? I, I think internally the jig was going on for two years. I'm like, this shit's over. I was like, yeah, I am. He's like, you're fucking fired. Click. And that was just it, man. You know, and I spiraled down the drain for a year and a half before I ultimately went out to jail. And I wish I could say that year and a half I got sober, but I didn't. I freaking scraped the bottom of the barrel everywhere I could, dude. I stole from all my family members. I stole thousands from my father. Um, I just, I left a wake of destruction in every single person and relationship I was ever in just for one thing and one thing only, my personal benefit so I could get drugs so I didn't have to feel like shit. Um, and then ultimately going to jail and rehab, which was literally the worst period of my life. But now that I look back at it, seven, eight years later was the best thing that could ever happen to me. The most personal development ever happened there. I was, I, I went from prior to going to jail, uh, wanting to die every single day. I justified a lot of the actions I, I did in that time and stealing by saying, well, I'm just going to kill myself anyway. That was my ultimate justification. Well, I'm going to steal this because I'm just going to overdose and die anyway. Like what a stupid fucking way to think.
And then I get out of jail, man, just so grateful for the experience and so grateful to be alive. And even more so today, seven years down the road, just being like, wow, that time period was defining, man. And I wouldn't be the person I am today without it. So I am very grateful for it. How long were you in jail? Seven months. Damn, that's a, it. like, there's a lot of people doing longer, but that's a still a long fucking time, man. Dude, everybody called me a pussy in jail for being a bitch about it. But, you know, I was like, yo. <laughs> I never been to jail and I'm not ashamed to admit I cried the first fucking week every single day I was there, man, because I lost my freedom. And you got people in there that are acting like this is playground for them. It's like their seventh, eighth trip. They don't give it. This is like a vacation from the, the kids and wife they have. But I'm like, yo, dude, losing your freedom is not fun. It is miserable. So was it prison that ultimately got you sober and off of heroin or Hell were you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I had to we I had to uh withdraw and go through that process in jail. Yeah. So like that was actually really good because I was never successful in quitting drugs before because like you could just grab your phone like 36 hours in and be like, I'm fucking done with this, call the dealer, you know? In jail, you don't have that option. So like it was really pivotal in one, me getting clean, and two, um, for the first month I was in there, I refused to talk to any of my family. I took no accountability or personal responsibility for my problems. I blamed everything on them. Within that month of jail, I started to realize, like, oh, shit, man, it's not their fault. It's my fucking fault, which sucks. <laughs> You're like, yeah. damn it. It is. So, you know, I started I, I started to form a relationship with my dad through a jail for through collect calls. You know what I mean? And it took a really long time. And today our relationship's unrecognizable from what it was seven years ago. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But it all started with literally picking up that jail phone and saying these two words. I'm sorry. I fucked up. Well, four words there, because I did say that whole thing. I'm sorry, I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I was going to say, so like, even though you were stealing from them all this, they were still trying to reach out for that first month? No, they weren't trying to reach oh, out. So you had to make I, that first step. Oh, yeah, they can't. Yeah, nobody can just call you in jail. I had yeah. to call them, but I was I was stonewalling them. I was like, you know what? They'll write me a letter or something, but I ain't never talking to them again. And then, of course, after the first month and all like my hormones and everything started to go back to normal from the extreme drug use, you know, I started to really realize like the error of my wrongs. And even more so than that, the power of example by people in jail. I seen some of the attitudes that these gentlemen had, and they're not necessarily bad people. They just had probably some bad run-ins in life, but the attitude they had in the moment was like, shit, Alex, do you want to be like these people? Do you want to think like that? You know, is, is this the road you want to go down? Because if so, these are, this is the life you're going to live. So it was really uh, wanting to be the opposite of what I was surrounded with because I'm like, I don't ever want to be in this situation again. I don't ever want another grown man to have to ask me to squat and cough three times. Like, absolutely not. So this was seven years ago when you got out? Yeah. 2017 august of 2017 i got out or 18. and so what is like step one now that you're out and obviously now you built this relationship with your family you're definitely not going back to drugs like where do you go from there can i have to go to rehab no, i'm sorry I, for a, I want to ask a question before that just before we jump into like getting out of jail um while you were in there and obviously you have plenty of time to think mm -hmm. on what the previous five years were before that um, and probably start getting a lot of mental clarity. Um, cause I'm sure, I think everyone on this phone knows somebody that either struggles with some sort of addiction or knows somebody that went through a similar situation. So being fresh in there a month and starting to realize like, damn, this was on me. I need to say, sorry, I need to start building that relationship. Did you have any sort of, uh, coping mechanisms or any sort of like, help inside, whether that was like journaling for yourself, did they have counselors? Like, 
did you have a lot of guilt? Obviously, one, you said you did, but two, how did you deal with that to kind of start transitioning this mindset of, I don't want this fucking life the rest mm -hmm. of my life? Yeah, for the first month I was in there, as I was not talking to my family, they give you a pair of Crocs in there in jail. And um, for the first month, I literally walked, and we probably had a, uh, a stretch of hallway on our block that was like 25 yards long, and I would walk it back and forth every single fucking day. If I had a pedometer on, I probably did over 60,000 steps a day, because literally from the moment I woke up at 7 in the morning till – I went to bed. I was literally just back and forth walking, not saying a fucking word all up here, just running through all these scenarios and all these things and running through all the years. I was like, holy fuck, how did I get here? Because I come from a high point. Like I was literally living large before jail, man, before my addiction. Like I was known in the community because we, I was working at a very popular bar restaurant. Like Everybody fucking knew me. I was really good at my job. I was really personable. I could go into any store and people would say hello. It was almost like a micro celebrity process around my town everybody knew me and that really went to my head and i lost it all and i was like running through that i'm like i had the world by the nuts you know what i mean i had so much stuff i was a good looking guy i was getting a bunch of women like life was good and i threw it all away and i was just running through that and i was so much regret and again it was a lot of self-pity for a while because it was literally just thinking about what i had lost I wasn't thinking about my family at all i was thinking more so about like what i personally lost financially and she was like shit and then of course those thoughts started to turn around after the first month i started talking to my dad and wouldn't you know right after i started talking to my dad trying to rewrite these wrongs an opportunity came up to start working in the kitchen in the jail which is great for me i come from the restaurant industry it was almost a perfect fit i got in there doing that helped me pass time for six months. I made $2 a day, could give a shit less about that. But what I did care about is I had a job in jail. I wasn't sitting on the block anymore. I had something to do that kept my mind occupied. And that's when I started building my confidence back and everything started to work out. Um, I wasn't really journaling yet. I hadn't discovered that until I got into rehab, but I was reading a lot and a lot of self-help books. And this book right behind me on my bookshelf here, and if you've ever read it, um, it's called Fearless by Eric Baum. An amazing story, dude. That was the first book I read in jail. My cellmate had it. And he's like, yeah, you can read this. I'll give you the quick TLDR of it because it's a fucking powerful book that changed my goddamn life. The guy had a similar story to me. It's based on a true story. The guy goes through his life, doesn't graduate, uh, doesn't go to college like all his friends do when they all graduate. That's me as well. I didn't go to college. All his friends go away. He just stays at home. He works at home. But guess what? He falls in with a bad group of guys. He starts doing crack cocaine. He runs the bottom of the barrel for three or four years. Parents have no fucking idea what to do. He gets the bright idea. The only thing that's going to get me clean is becoming a Navy SEAL. Sounds crazy, right? Well, guess what? He fucking does it. Becomes a Navy SEAL. But through all this adversity and all the shit that happens before he becomes a Navy SEAL, and even more so when he becomes a Navy SEAL, this guy clung to his faith, literally got through the worst possible situation in the world, did the hardest job in the world. And that story was so fucking powerful to me because it taught me like, I don't want to become a Navy SEAL, but it taught me that you can literally fucking do anything. You can come from the bottom of the bottom and you could still come up up top. But what hit me the most at the end of this book, the guy ultimately passed away in Iraq, which is unfortunate. But when they were, the author was talking about talking to his family about writing this book. He said that Adam had a special number, 23. Wouldn't you know the author goes to his hotel room after meeting Adam's family to see if he's the one to write his life story. His room number is 2323. Tells the family that they fucking go insane. Wouldn't you fucking know I look down at my jail bag and what's that jail bag number? 23. I about fucking died. I get chills every time I tell that story, dude. It I literally have them now. Fucks 
lights me up, dude. But that book is so powerful, dude. And after I read that, I took that as a sign that my life is supposed to be much more than reading this book in this fucking jail cell right now. So that's when, like, I was like, I need to do something, man. And that's when, like, the the first seed was planted. And literally that book, that seed was planted, and it's just been growing ever since. And now it's a beautiful garden. God, that's powerful. So now transitioning out, like, Following up on Dylan's question, um, I forget how you phrased it, Dylan, if you want to ask him to jump back into that. I was just asking, like, what the first step was mm -hmm. once you were out, which obviously you said you went to rehab, but mm -hmm. that's just – was that, like, mandatory you have to go to rehab after you get yeah. out, or was it something like, I just need to make sure I don't go back to what I was doing? I definitely wouldn't have went to rehab on my own accord. The jail told me uh, – the court rather said that this is a stipulation of your thing, which I'm glad they did because it was a good process. Um not so much for the counselors and stuff because the majority of them just like came out of school and they read a book about addiction, which I don't put too much premise on. I, I got yeah. more value out of the guy who dropped out of school, came in on Tuesdays to talk to us, who was a drug addict. You know what I mean? He knew what the fuck was going on and now he mm -hmm. owns his own contracting business. Like more respect for that guy. Sorry, right. Shannon. Shannon was my counselor. She's a great counselor, but she didn't know shit. Uh, and that's <laughs> not her fault. <laughs> yeah. She asked me one day, how can I be better? I'm like, go become a drug addict and come back. Yeah, it's you like got to go yeah, through to release. Like, I don't know what to tell you here, but anyway, you know, I learned a lot from the guys in there. You know, it was funny. I went to my roommate was a, a guy named Todd. Very, very, very intelligent guy. Came from a very affluent family, which taught me that addiction can touch anywhere, you know. And we called him the Frankenstein of rehab because he went to 10 rehabs and he could literally, he had every cliche nailed down, but he was so smart with that. So that was, he really brought a lot of good stuff out of me. And he always taught me one thing. And this isn't to say any arrogance, but he always told me, he's like, Alex, I see something special in you. The cream always rises to the top. Sometimes it just takes a little longer. You're going to get out. You're going to do great fucking things. And I was like, you know what, Todd? I don't know what those great things are, but we're going to try. Because I literally had to get out of rehab and climb from the bottom of the barrel. Because as soon as I got out of rehab, dude, I'm a, I'm a two-time felon now, you know? And I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. No one's going to hire me to work in a bar again. I can probably tell you that much. <laughs> so I'm like, this is all I really know how to do good. The area I live in is prominent. Pre predominantly industrial. So we work with a lot of powder metal factories, a lot of carbon factories, a lot of factory work. Now, granted, you make good money doing them, but it's shitty, monotonous work with negative, negative people because they hate their jobs and why wouldn't they? It's very tedious. So I literally got a job for working minimum wage, which is, I don't even know what it is anymore, $750. I worked there for two weeks, got my first paycheck, which is like 450 bucks after taxes. And I'm like, the fuck is this? Like I used to make this in a night bartending and you're, you're going to give me this for two weeks. So that's when I was like, yo, something's got to change here. And in the course of four months, dude, I went through five jobs because every job I was at, I'd never stopped applying to other jobs every single fucking day. And the biggest hurdle I had to get over was of course, if you've ever filled out a job, uh, application what do they ask you on there do you have a criminal record list any felonies you have on there well i got fucking felonies and that was like shit so i always wrote my felonies down on there and in parentheses i said i know this looks bad but please just sit down and talk to me because i always was convinced if you sit down and talk to me you'll realize that i'm not some rum dumb and i'm literally here trying to claw my way back in life because and you know what i got some great jobs doing that and the last job i had two years after i got a rehab man i climbed the corporate ladder in there and i came i came on from begging my case to get on. They hired me. And then I, I applied for another up, uh, job in that position, uh, that company. I got it. And I ended up being a second shift supervisor at a powder metal, matter, powdered metal company. I had no fucking knowledge to be in that job. But what they liked about me is they seen my dedication, how much I was doing. 
every job I went to, I was doing the most. I was the guy that they would say is the try hard. Everybody always said, Alex, stop working so fucking hard. I got something to prove, man. I got a record. I had to beg for this job for, for starters. So you're damn right. I'm not going to sit on my phone. I'm going to freaking uh, dust this floor and do all this jazz when, when I have time because I want to show these people like, hey, I want this. And that's what they seen to me. And they seen a guy who was willing to put in the extra effort. And I've just carried that attitude out towards now. Yeah, that's cool. Because I think the easy thing is to just put you in a box and they're just going to say, oh, this is a stereotype. He's an addict. He's a felon, this and that. But when you sit down and you have a conversation with somebody, it's going to humanize them. That's why I like yeah. talking about this kind of shit. It's because like it shows like you're a fucking person. This can happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. Like it, It's not just one type of person that this shit happens to. Yeah, and even more so than that, like, I was surprised even in my run during addiction, like, I'd walk into the dope man's house sometimes, and some of the some of the people I'd see on that couch are like, shit, you're here? You know, I was very surprised about the people you would never know did drugs, and especially in my case as well. I talked to people who knew me when I served them at the bar. They're like, I can't believe this kid did heroin. Because, you know, you, you put these stigmas on people, and you think it people are a certain way. You, you think of a heroin addict, somebody who's all strung out and they're freaking sitting on their couch in the dark, not doing anything like, no, I was working at a high level, high energy job doing very, very well. Um, heroin had the opposite effect on me. I just became addicted and I used it almost as speed. It made me very happy. Getting out of jail and getting back into, I guess what you can consider the real world. <laughs> um, I think, are you still in your hometown or like the mm -hmm. same state? Was there a transition period where you had to get out of your own head. Maybe you were thinking like, oh, these people are judging me or thinking this of me, or did that not ever phase you? Oh, it phased me all the time. So now I wish I knew what I knew now, because now I know that no one gives a shit about you and they're, they're too caught up in their own shit. If it didn't happen yesterday, they probably don't remember. But when I got out of rehab, I didn't have that mindset. So I thought every time I walked down the Walmart aisles, man, like people are staring. Like if somebody gave me the wrong look, I'm like, oh shit, they know who the fuck I am. You know what I mean? They mm -hmm. know what happened. Now I know they don't know shit, but, uh, it, it, it was hard because I'm, I came back to the town I was born and raised in, you know, and I lived two miles with my dad from where I was stealing all that money. Like I was known. Um, but being in Narcotics Anonymous really just gave me that support because I really dove into that initially when I got out. I went through the 12 steps, started writing my <coughs> wrongs, um, and I started making amends to all those people I hurt. Uh, number one being the owner of that bar restaurant, man. So I talked to him and we cleared the slate and that was like the biggest weight lifted off my chest ever because the gentleman who hired me and the gentleman that I stole from, like he was, he was like a second dad to me. He was an amazing guy. He, he looked out for me, did so much for me. And like doing that to him was like stabbing him. And it was so profound when we had that talk because he's like, yo man, I want you to know, like, I didn't press charges on you because I hate you. I pressed charges on you because I love you. Like I knew what path you were going down. He had addiction in his family as well. So he's very familiar on what to do. So like, I was like, man, I, you saved my life. Like I have no ill will, man. Like at the time I did, like, I was like, fuck you, Raymond. But like, now I'm like, dude, you literally saved my life. Do you still have a relationship with him now? Yeah. I go there all the time. He actually offered me a job two months ago and I laughed out the door. I was like, yeah, I'm going to pass on that. <laughs> we, we always joke with him because he was working there. I was like, Raymond, you're a very, very wealthy man. I don't know why you're cooking in this fucking restaurant that you never should have opened, but it doesn't matter. Besides the point, he's like, you want your job back? I'm like, I do not want that job back. <laughs> So now current day, Alex, because uh, I don't think we've gotten deep enough for people to know like what you stand for now, who you are now, the message you push now and things like that. So being that you have an extensive history and I want to say too, like, 
I don't know if many people say this, but dude, I'm fucking proud of you. And like, congratulations, what you did um, and what you overcame. I would say, I think it's a proven statistic that less than 1% of people recover from heroin addiction. And so like from the bottom of my heart, man, I hope every single day, good and bad days that you have, you always remember how strong you are and you keep fucking pushing and spreading this message and talking about it um, because it's not easy for people to talk on their wrongs. It's not easy for people to tell their stories that somebody might judge or somebody might have a stigma around. Um, so for me to you, man, I'm, I'm fucking proud. I kind of am like weirdly holding back tears right now because like, dude, it's so fucking cool to see that no matter what we go through in life, you can always turn things around with the right people around you. Even if you hit rock bottom, the situation can pull you out of it. And so waking up with the mentality of conquering the world every day, like I know each of us do now, um, is extremely powerful. Please keep telling your story. Please keep letting people know what you went through um, because I know sometimes it might be hard to talk about that story. It's hard for me to talk about some of my stories or things that I went through with family and friends um so from the bottom of my heart man keep fucking going keep killing it and keep spreading this message you are and i'm excited for the people to now hear what alex is doing now to just keep fucking killing life and doing what he loves you know uh back to my my good buddy todd who is in rehab who is my roommate in there you know he always told me and he was always the first to share in group meetings and the reason for that was is he recognized something and he understood something more than most of us did. And he always said, nobody wants to break the ice with the ho most horrible thing they did, especially around other people. But if you share something very deep about yourself, you then give that person the power to share something very deep about themselves. And why is that? Because you did it first. You opened that door where somebody else could do it. And I always think about that now because I keep sprinkling parts of my story that I felt I didn't want to tell for a long time. You know, my family's home caught on fire in 2016 and I lost my stepmother and my brother. I consider her my mother. I didn't tell that story for a long time because I didn't want to yet. Um, I have a daughter who's seven now, but when she was four, she had cancer. I had to go down to Florida and we had to deal with that. Thankfully, she's been two and a half years in remission. I only told that story a few weeks ago. Like there's still parts of my story that I gain more confidence as every day goes by. And I realize the value in these stories. And I realize the lessons that these stories told me. Um, that's why I'm glad I didn't get right out of rehab and start telling my story. I wasn't fucking worthy of telling that story yet. I had work to do and it took four years until I started posting four and a half years of sobriety before I got on Twitter and started telling this story that I needed to tell because there was a lot of work that needed to be done in myself in order to help other people. You know how we always say, you know, you can't pour into other people's glasses when yours is empty. Like that's a hundred percent true. So I had to fill that sucker up so I could then in order empower other people to do the same thing. And the big keystone in filling my cup up was health and fitness. You know, that's what I clung on to and got, I, I've always had a relationship with health and fitness, played sports all through high school, lifted all the time. Um, of course, in my middle age in the twenties, I got out of it because I was drinking and doing drugs. But when I was back in jail, that was a, that was a big keystone in me. Like, recovering. Like I started doing bodyweight workouts with the boys on the block. I carried that mentality in the rehab. I carried that mentality out of rehab and I went full freaking bore. Everything that I realized is like, I don't want those mental health problems. So how am I going to avert those? Oh, I'm going to eat well. And I'm going to go do nature's antidepressant. I'm going to go to the fucking gym. And that's what I clung on to, man. And it literally got me to where I'm at today.
And when I started posting <coughs> anonymously on Twitter with my own name and I started to share my story more, it just brought me in contact with amazing people such as yourselves and such as Zach Homo and such as the Default King Boys and like all these other people I could just sit here and name off. And through all these encounters, I learned a little bit more about myself. I learned a little bit more about the online world. I got hooked up with new people. And um, I just learned something every day. It's it's a cliche at this point, but it's true. I'm just trying to get 1% better every single day and whatever facet of my life is going to push me forward. Um, throughout that process, I got a fiance. I wouldn't have the relationship I have with my fiance without Twitter. And, and I didn't meet her off Twitter. I met her in real life, but I say that because I've learned how to be a better man from the people on Twitter and the people I surround myself with. And that's why I give no time to people who say social media is absolutely horrible. I'm like, no, you're just fucking using it wrong because yes. it has made, it has made me a hundred times better of a person because of who I follow and the information that I now have access to. Um, it's literally changed the course of my life. Um, I literally have my job on Twitter. I work online. I have my own personal training business. I work for the default King boys. I'm the client success manager over there. Like I'm surrounded by such amazing people who are making me better every single day. And I'm turning around after being made better in my cup being filled. And I'm pouring into other guys who need that guy ahead of them to help them. So it's just this full circle moment, man. And it's quite beautiful and it's surreal to think about. And, uh, Life is beautiful, man. And it's, it's great to say that because seven years ago, I was literally trying to die, um, literally tried to commit suicide a few times. Never, never succeeded, obviously, because I'm sitting here talking to you guys. <laughs> that's, no, that's, no, that's no test. But I'll tell you what, man, um, I'm just so grateful it never worked, you know, and a few times I wanted it to work really bad. And you know what? There's no worse feeling in the world than trying to commit suicide and waking up the next day. You're like, Fuck. <laughs> but I'm glad I did, man, because, uh, you know, that really propelled me in my faith as well, because I, I like to think there's a reason for that. And have I found that reason? I don't know. Um, a lady last week, I go into schools um, and give speeches about my time and addiction, trying to inspire the youth not to be a dummy like I was. I don't necessarily tell them not to do drugs because if somebody would have came into my school and said, don't do drugs, I would have said, fuck this guy. <laughs> so like, I don't do that at all. And I, I highlight the fact that they are fun, but you, you need to realize that there are consequences, cause and effect to every single action. And I started doing these things for fun. And look where I ended up, my friend. And you might not be that lucky because uh, what they're putting in the drugs nowadays is absolutely abysmal. And I have the pleasure again to go this Friday to my local middle school and speak to the eighth grade class there because the youth are getting worse and worse out there. And I wish a lot of people, more people knew this because if you're in your twenties or thirties, think about what you were doing in eighth grade and then multiply that by five or 10. That's what the kids are doing now. It, they just had a drug bust at my local middle school, middle school, six, eighth graders. It's just, it's nuts. So uh, it's getting worse and worse. So I'd like to do my part. Um, this is partially the reason I believe I'm alive today to share this story. I I'm energetic. I'm charismatic. I'd like to talk in front of people. That's these are all God given gifts. And if I can go into a school and talk to an audience of 170 people, like, why the hell not? Why wouldn't I share that story? Dude, it's crazy to think about the kids these days because, like, when I was in eighth grade, I was getting into shit. But, like, I was still so naive. Like, social media oh, wasn't yeah. a thing. No. I didn't have the internet on my phone. Like, I had to get on a computer where my mom and dad are tracking everything I fucking do anyways. They can get into so much shit now so young. Like, eighth grade is basically a fucking senior in high school back when we were kids. Like 100%. it's insane. At 12 years old, you, you just have access to everything and they don't know that there's a good side of social media. Mm -hmm. All they're going to see is the bad shit. Everything that's popular nowadays. They're going to, 
it's crazy. So that's awesome that you're like going to speak to these people because somebody's got to be real with them. How did you uh, get involved in going to speak in front of these kids? And to, um, to a second question to follow up on that is um, not going in there and being like, don't do drugs. What is the message or how do you convey to these kids? What story do you tell or what do you to hope it resonates the most with them? Um, so exercise got me into working out with these kids, ironically enough. So I actually bartend here and it's going to be for a few more weeks on the side on the weekends, just cause I love the job. Um, a local bar owner that I know he owns a nice, really nice bar restaurant. Um, he used to see me running all the time around town and I've known him since high school. A bunch of friends have worked for him cause he owns multiple businesses in town. He's only a few years older than me, but he used to see me running around town all the time. He's like, Oh shit. Alex must be getting better because he always waved me. You know what I mean? He did that for a year. Um, probably, you know, it was about three years while I was out, three or four years while I was out of jail. Like he see me all the time running around, carrying my basketball, go to the basketball courts to play basketball. And one day he messaged my girlfriend. He's like, yo, is your man looking for a job? And I was like, this guy wants to hire me to work at a bar. Are you fine? Like he knows, I know he knows my story. You know what I mean? And he gave me that opportunity because he's seen the change in me. He's seen me getting money every single day as he would put it. So uh, yeah, he gave me this opportunity, dude. And that really boosted my confidence. And through there, I met our district attorney, which I already knew him. He's actually my dad's divorce attorney. He turned it into the assistant district attorney um, who's handled a few cases for me, even before my drug addiction, some DUIs and uh, underage drinking, like shit like that. Great guy. But he's seen me in the bar because he came down there for dinner all the time. He's like, dude, I can't believe how well you're doing. Because he tracked my whole story through adolescence to the final fall. And he's like, I can't believe you're doing this good, man. Hey, how about this? I got an opportunity for you. We're going to do this reality tour. And the reality tour is essentially a prom promising, but with drugs, they have paramedics there. They have a funeral director and they basically walk kids around in the simulation to show what happens when you do drugs. The guy overdoses. Oh shit. He didn't make it. Now he's in the casket. Like try to scare the shit out of him. Damn. And at the end of it, they have a presentation with law enforcement. So law enforcement goes up there and this is middle school kids and their parents there. And uh, they just give them a spiel. And then I go up and I give them like the perspective from an addict. So I did that two years ago and it went, it, it went amazing. It went absolutely great. And uh, they loved it so much where they asked me to come back last year and this year. And now even more so, they watched it again. They're like, yo, we need you to come in here and talk to these eighth graders. It's like, shit. I branched out from that. I started doing other schools. I had the opportunity. They just put a new uh, program in our county. And I had the opportunity to speak with the attorney general, um, who's now our governor, Josh Shapiro. So I got to meet him and speak alongside him with the introduction of this new program in our county. So, you know, literally, it's just about being in the right place at the right time and also showing these people by the example of like, oh yeah, this guy's changed similar to what I was doing in these jobs. Like I was busting my ass doing what I had to do and just showing people like, Hey man, like that's not me. You know, um, it's just not who I am anymore. Like that guy is fucking dead. And now here I am, this is what you're left with. So literally just power of example. And what was your, Oh, what do I talk about with the kids as well? Um, I literally just run through the story of when the addiction started, when I was like similar to me telling you guys that as well, like, Hey, mm -hmm. I was in fourth grade. I started running for my problems. This is where I started. And from there it just gravitates. Cause once you break those damn walls down, you're more inclined down the road to say yes to something. Um, so people commonly say drugs and weed or gateway drugs. And a lot of people get triggered by that. But if you really think about it, they truly are. Because once you do those, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to find yourself around 
possibly unsavory people because you're drinking and doing alcohol, uh, drinking and smoking weed. And the second thing is you are opening yourself to possibilities down the road to say yes to something. So whether that be cocaine, whether that be pills, whether that be Molly, anything like that, because you're drinking, you're like, oh, you know, why not? You know what I mean? I'm already doing this. You're going to make a better time. Hell yeah. So you're already inclined to say yes. So um, I just tell them that story about me, uh, kind of my run in, what I did at the end, going through like the whole fallout of everything. And I really like to highlight the end point, which is like what saved me, which is health and fitness. Um, and that's partially why I left the Narcotics Anonymous world, which it has its time and its place, but there's a lot of things I don't care for about the program. And the biggest thing that I was trying to push on people was health and wellness. Um, you can't come into a meeting seven monsters deep smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day with nothing but a candy diet and tell me that you're depressed. Well, no fucking shit. You're depressed. You're eating like shit. Like these solutions should be so easy to you. And, you know, coming from, I, I was in the psych ward before I went to jail a bunch of times, they put me on a shit ton of antidepressants and knowing what I know now about mental health and just overall health and wellness. Like these sons of bitches never even asked me what I was eating. Well, of course I'm medically unstable. I'm a heroin addict. So of course my hormones are bad. I don't need this antidepressant. What I need is one to get off these drugs and two, I need to get like my hormone levels back to normal. So really I was just dissatisfied by the medical industrial complex, which spewed me into like kind of being what society would deem a tinfoil hat wearing guy. Because like, I'm like, like health and fitness is going to solve like literally 99% of your problems. And the other 1%, you need to put the footwork in. Um, what I always say here is uh, right here, this pen and paper um, will pay more dividends than a majority of anything in the world. You can buy both for under $2. And um, without that pen and paper, you know, after I got out of rehab, dude, like it was pivotal, you know, because that's where the footwork started. That's where the discovery started. That's where I could see where I fucked up and how I could fix it. So, you know, it's really simple. The, the, the template is simple. It's like anything in life, like health and fitness, uh, recovery, anything. Like the template is fucking simple. Lay out the steps, so fucking simple. The application is fucking hard. Yeah. This is the shit that we love to hear. I don't know how familiar you are with our message and what we I say. Am. I am. Well, it's really just the same thing, man. It's bridging the gap between physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to face it head on and realize that maybe if I got my physical right, my mental would follow suit. Mm -hmm. But it really is like it is that simple. It's a, double, it's, it's a double-edged sword as well because a lot of people can't get the physical right because their mental is wrong. So therefore, they yep. can't get over that initial – they can't get over that initial hump to like say, all right, I'm going to be uh, not comfortable for a little bit in order to feel comfortable. They're just not willing to get over that hump. Yep. You talk about getting 1% better every day, <laughs> and that's kind of like how Dylan and I and why we've made this transition this year to focus DTI. So – as you know, mental and physical health is our like pillars that we live by and bridging the gap in between those. And so last year we were taking on like high dollar clients and we were just doing that for the physical side. It got money brought into the door so that way we can continue this and that. As we were doing it, we realized there's such a stigma around like walking into gyms for people that don't do it. It's very scary, intimidating, all this stuff. So getting a personal trainer is even that has that heightened. And then therapy has a stigma of like you have to go in say all your problems. They're going to try and tell you X, Y, and Z, whatever. And so we realized that we don't want it to just be around physical and like working out and stuff like that. So what can we do to reach the majority that people aren't the common day people, the people that don't want to be in the gym six days a week, the people that don't want massive muscles, that don't want abs, that don't want to run a marathon. Like what can we do and what can we put in place to help them out? And that's beginning 1% better. Mm -hmm. You drink six Cokes a day, 
Okay, let's substitute that and get it down to three. Start drinking more water. Mm -hmm. Oh, you walk 500 steps a day. Okay, let's increase that to three or 5,000 right now. Let's work on that, get the habit of getting that in, and then let's build upon it. And not changing people's lifestyles, but rather fitting things into their lifestyle mm -hmm. so they stick with it for the longevity mm -hmm. of their life. Yeah, and that's, and that's the biggest thing right there. And I love the way you described that right there because I preach that to all my coaching clients. Like, Rome was not built in a day. We are going to take this one step at a time. I actually just wrote up a plan today right before this podcast for one of my clients who's trying to quit vaping. I'm like, we ain't going to cold turkey this, man. 75 hits for the next two days, 50 the next two days, 25 the next two days, five the next two days, zero. Like we're going to inch this sucker down every single day because if you want lifelong sustainable habits, it's not just like throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks. Yep. That's a sure recipe to fail. Kill your confidence and say, I'm a fucking idiot. And that's another yep. thing. People don't realize how powerful that self-talk, those words we tell ourselves are. Um, so anything we can do to advert that and not go through that cycle of failing, which failure is not a bad thing. It's a fucking great thing. You should embrace it. Um, it's going to teach you so many more lessons. But the thing about that is and just the, the habit building is just one step at a time, man. See what works for you, fit it in there. Because again, if you would have thrown everything I do in my life today right on me out of rehab, like I would have crashed and burned. I needed a <laughs> long time to build up that stuff. Um, I always like to say this because it's kind of funny, you know, like there was a long road between getting out of rehab and sitting in front of my red light right behind me, butt ass naked every night. Like there was a long road between those two points to like get there. Like if you would have told me day one, like at a rehab, like, Hey man, five and a half, six years, you're going to be sitting in front of a red light. Like, Why the fuck am I doing that? <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, like there's a long road and, and as you go, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill and that fucker's going to get bigger. If you just keep feeding it and keep rolling it down the hill, that's it. It's easy. It just takes time. Yep. I just signed up for uh, this place. It's got cryo, red light, and infrared sauna. Mm. And um, I'm like a super big nerd when it comes to that stuff right now. I'm really into it and think I will truly do it for the rest of my life the way it makes me feel. I consider mm -hmm. that like my therapy or like one of the things. And um, I'm signing up for this and my pops passed away uh, seven years ago. And blue collar man, uh, old school mentality, work hard, get your hands and knees dirty, all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And uh, so I'm signing up for this and I'm just laughing in my head. Like, I wonder what my father would say if he knows one, how much I'm spending on this a month and two, that he knows that I'm laying in a bed full of red lights, butt ass yeah. naked and saying that it's helping me. And Not so it just yes, makes sissy. me laugh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's probably the doing? nicest way he would say it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I often wonder... Um, how he would have transitioned in this world um, mm. because it's, I mean, from seven years ago, it's vastly different. People's mindsets, the mm -hmm. things we talk about, the stuff we mm. see on TV and stuff like that. And it, it kind of wraps up the point and brings it back to what you said is finding that side of social media that's good. And Dylan and I talk about this a lot just because we're blessed to come in contact with people like yourself. I can't wait to meet Zach one day and have him on our podcast, um, Matt and so many other people. And it's like, once you find that side of the people that are using it to not only spread knowledge on their story, not only spread knowledge on what they're passionate mm -hmm. about, what they like, but you just find the sense of community that even if mm -hmm. we don't align in the sense of like, say you're bodybuilding and we're just like mm -hmm. this lifestyle type thing, you're not going to shit on me for being bodybuilding mm -hmm. and I'm not going to shit on you or vice versa because we're spreading that positive message of how can we be better each and every day? What can we focus on? What routines and habits do you have in place that I might be able to instill in my life to fix those areas? And so it's so cool 
to see more and more people as you get into that side of social media, spreading their message and the power and impact they're having because they're forming such tight communities mm -hmm. that it's not about having an M next to your number of mm -hmm. how many followers you have or how many likes you get on a post because the hundred likes that you're getting or the 500 followers are so ingrained in your culture and your brand and what you're pushing that you have a bigger impact than that person that has a million followers. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to see that. Even more so, man, I only started to gain traction on social media and I only started to get likes and clients when I ditched the thought of, I just want to make money. Cause there was that thought at the start. I thought this was going to get a get rich quick scheme, no shit. Um, and I was being really unauthentic on some of the ways I was skewing posts. And I'm not going to lie about that. That's the truth. It just happened. Mm -hmm. um, I only started to gain traction when I threw that mentality out the window and started being myself. Um, not putting on some phony face and mask when I'm on social media. Like what you see on Twitter is me unfiltered. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of positivity. Sometimes negativity right now. I'm kind of shitting on the vegans all the time. Like I'm sorry if there's any vegans listening to this, there is the light. There is the light and I'll cook you a steak. But I mean, like, it's just, it's funny. It's, you know, it's fun to nitpick, but mm -hmm. at the same time, man, like being authentic, people can sense that. I really, really feel that. And I can feel the, the, the accounts that are being disingenuous and that puts me off. So I don't want to be that person. I want to be the most authentic person I can be. Do I want to make money too? Well, yeah, but I'm leading with authenticity to yep. be myself and obviously ultimately help people as well. That's awesome. Dylan, I know we're coming up to the 45 minute marker. I do I have like one other thing I need to touch on before we get off. I was going to say, so, I feel like uh, a lot. No, it's specifically uh, around these Spartan races because I know that you just did one. Oh, shit. And, uh, we have one coming up here in like three weeks. It's our first one. We're doing a Bisa, so we're 21K in it. That's the and last one like, I need for the trifecta. We got like eight guys coming in who've also never done these. So I kind of want your perspective on like what we should actually expect going into this because none of us have done this shit. Oh, geez, you're going out the gate with the 21K too. Good for <laughs> you guys, 13 miles. I've done like other type of stuff, but not never like with obstacles involved. Got you. Um, it's an absolutely amazing time if you've never done it. It really brought out the best of me. I did my first one last September in Philadelphia. I did the stadium series. So we ran a 5K in the uh, Philadelphia Eagles Stadium. Uh, it sucked ass. Actually, it wasn't the Phillies stadium. It was the Phillies stadium. The baseball stadium was sucked ass. It was a lot of steps. We literally ran through every single stairway that place had. But I'll tell you what was special about that place. As soon as they blew the whistle to go, um, something unlocked in me. I barely trained for the sucker. It's only three miles. I said, screw it. I can, I can muscle through it. Um, but something unlocked in me because I was surrounded by people who were competing against themselves. I haven't been in that arena of competing since high school basketball because I played competitively. Uh, so I think the competitive nature in me, like it really brought out the best to me and the obstacles are fun as hell, man. So it unlocks something to me where you're getting it. You didn't think, I didn't think I had enough in the tank, but seeing someone else beside me getting it, um, Every race that I was in three so far, I always like partnered up with like the very first guy in the race and just like got behind him because he was my motivation. He was like the carrot that I was chasing, um, except for the last one. I smoked the shit out of that one because I was like, fuck this, this is a 5K. I'm getting done with it. And uh, I was so mad because at the end I was shooting for first and I got third and I'm the only person in the world who's going to be mad about third place. Like, fuck <laughs> is that? If I was going for first, I'd also be mad about third. Yeah, so I'm doing a 21K again this year because uh, they have a thing. If you do the, the 5K, the 10K, and the 21K, you get something that's called a trifecta. You get three medals that make one and uh, hey. i'm doing that this year and uh my goal for the 21k is to get first 
So that is on the docket as nice. well, man. But the obstacles are a great time, dude. And the camaraderie you have around the other fellows that you're doing it with in the team atmosphere. Um, I did it with a team in Houston, Matt Moore and his Elevate squad. Yep. Um, however, I didn't stick around with them. And I told him I wasn't. I was like, if you guys aren't beside me, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm pulling the power uh, leading by example. Like if you want to pull more out of you, catch me. <laughs> like, that's it, man. Like, I'm sorry. That, that's all I got for you. Cause I had a goal in mind. Um, and I thought that was powerful to set a goal for myself, but like, dude, they are an amazing time. And when you get to the end, you just see, feel so accomplished no matter what place you come in. Um, it's just a great overall feeling. They're very intense. Um, and there's going to be points where you're going to want to give up and, uh, you don't. And that's special. This is like our first DTI event. So we're not going to be able to be like, yo, catch me. We're kind of leading. So we kind of have to stay with the pack. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. What should we expect time-wise here realistically for a 21K? So they're all different, and that's the thing. Because, for instance, like that 5K I did in the stadium, I did it in 56 minutes and 7 seconds. Um, the 10K I did in Jacksonville, which is double that, I did that in an hour and 7 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the opposite, so every course is course specific to the time. So it's essentially what everyone sets up there. So I did that 10K in about an hour seven. You should realistically figure about under three hours for the 21K, depending upon how they set the obstacles up. Um, the stadium took so long because literally there's so, you did more running and more obstacles yeah. or like through the stands and anything else compared to Jacksonville when everything was wide open. Um, so anything like around there, but of course the leaders are set by the people who went there yeah. before. And if they've actually had the same race in the town you're doing it at, you can go online and see past um, times on there. So you can kind of get a gist and they'll show you we the tried that one. And it said the average was like eight hours. I'm like, dude, there's no way we're taking eight hours. Bro. Yeah, no, 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 no. That sounds like a 50 K. Right. No, we, we specifically looked for the 21 and I'm like, oh, really? there's no way uh, I'm taking eight hours. No, no I said, no. if I'm there over five, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely not. I don't think that that's correct, but you can also look at the course map as well. They usually release that on there and see where all the obstacles are. I like to kind of pinpoint that just so, you know, and that goes, that goes where my mindset is. Cause I'm strategizing and like pound the shit. I, I don't really, I do them for fun, but more so competitive now because like yeah. I'm a very competitive person. I unlock something. I'm like, Oh wow. I'm kind of good at this. I want to push the limits on this. So therefore I'm like schizo about looking at the weather, looking at the terrain map. This is where I'm going to go full board. This is where I'm going to take a little break. You know what I mean? So like, it's just these planning aspects, but dude, they are just so much fun. And I always tell people to, especially older people, I don't consider myself old by any means, but I'm in my thirties. And like at this age, this is where people fall off. And of course you guys know the obesity rates are through the roof. And I always tell guys, like, if you need a little extra push, you need something to push for. You need that figurative carrot in front of you. You need to compete in something. I'm not saying you need to compete in a Spartan race, but you need to find something that you enjoy and you need to actively compete in that because you are going to be a better person after that, because you are going to employ more discipline and structure in your life in order to get better at said thing, which is in turn going to build the structure and discipline muscle in you, which is in turn going to gravitate to the other areas of your life, which is always a great thing. Oh, oh, you'll Don't kick I... his ass. I look forward to that. Where's it at? It's in North Carolina. Got you. So Freddie's there now. So yeah. a lot of the guys are already there. Uh, I think we have maybe three or four coming in from out of town. Yeah, yep. that's amazing, man. I hope you guys have a wonderful time. Yeah, it should be a good weekend. Yeah, we'll definitely have to update you. Well, cool. I could sit here and talk to Alex for an, about another three hours because no, there's also many other areas <laughs> that I want to get into in his life and even to kind of like uh, how Zach and his community um, – has impacted him or motivated him. 
Uh, but Dylan, try we try and have like reoccurring guests on, so mm-hmm. that way we can get deeper. Because we say we, this every week, and we've never had a reoccurring guest. Yet. <laughs> but it's the <laughs> thought that counts, and maybe one day you'll come back to it, man. You'll run out of leads, and you're like, well, shit. Now we got to circle back. <laughs> every every guest, like we like to have people on again. The only people we've had on again are like our friends who we did like a before and an after bulk thing. Because yeah. because we can't have it like three months after. It's got to yeah. get some time, so that way things can change, and then we can build on those stories and everything. So. Again, I'm just manifesting. I'm planting the seeds as Alex talked about, so that way the garden can keep growing and replenish itself. Um, because again, all of our stories are a lot deeper than what we can get into on a first call. And as we get more comfortable with each other um, and just even us speaking on these mics weekly, uh, more and more will come out to make that story even more impactful. For sure. I'd also like to get them where it's like two people on at a time. So like other people who already got connections, cause then it's just gonna go all over the place. Mm-hmm. It, and that's what I like. I like just being all over the place. Same here, man. I'm all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> awesome. Well, as you guys know, have the desire to inspire. It's your mama's favorite podcast. Always put a smile on your face because your mood will change if you do. And uh, spread love. Peace on. Peace.